The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Everybody feeling good? Good. After singing that, I don't know how we can't be. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're going to read verses 9 down to verse 20 together. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 down to verse 20. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way and are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poisons of asps are under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what, the, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, and that every mouth may be stopped, and all the worlds may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law there shall be no flesh, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Chapter 3, so if I could encourage you to be with us in the Word of God. I do want to say thank you to the folks who are providing music for us each week. As I look back over my own ministry, uh, 11 years in Kodidanga, and i got to say one thing that I did not gift the people in Kodidanga with was the ability to sing. Uh, they say everything rises and falls on leadership, so I take that one square on me. I'm sorry for them. They struggled until I was gone. After I gone, after I left, they finally learned how to sing. And I'm so glad that from day one we've had Brother Eric here so that you did not have to endure my terrible leadership in singing. Uh, I stood this morning and just enjoyed the singing. Might also welcome Brianna in the music group. And I'm, the question came up this morning, Pastor, is it okay if we have two flutes? And I said, absolutely perfect. For those of you joining us by way of Online and overflow, we had two flutes over here. Sorry. Uh, so if you play the guitar, the bass, the trumpet, the high-sounding cymbals, the low-sounding cymbals, we'll pull those from the book of Psalms. Any instrument you play, you're welcome to come along and join in. Uh, it just adds depth. And so thank you to you guys and the blessing that you were this morning. I wonder if you've ever received really bad news. It changes your life. 
You receive really bad news, and it just changes the rest of your life. You know. As soon as you hear it, you know tomorrow's not going to be the same. You, you know what I'm talking about? I'll give an example. Uh, this example, I, I don't have anybody in mind, and so please don't think, oh, pastor's thinking of this person or that person, all right? This is in general. Put yourself in these shoes. Let's say, for example, uh, you had some health issues, and then with these health issues, let's say you went to see the doctor, and the doctor decides to run some blood tests, and then the blood tests show some things, and then the doctor says, I need you to come back. They run some CAT scans, PET scans, MRI scans, all the different kinds of scans. And let's say the doctor says, I need to have a meeting with you. You know that whatever he's going to tell you is going to be bad because he's serious, and he says, I need to have a meeting with you. So you come in, let's say you come into his office, you're in the doctor's office now, he's sitting on one side of the desk, and you're sitting on, on the other side of the desk, and he's there, and he's got that folder, and it has all of your scans inside. You know what I'm talking about? And he looks at that, and, and let's say he knows what the diagnosis is, but he doesn't want to make you upset. So he opens it up, and let's say he looks at it, he looks up at you, looks back down at his paper. Looks up at you, close the paper. He asks you, so do you have a dog? And you begin to think, maybe it's my dog that's making me sick. And so you tell him, yeah, my dog, and he's this, year, this many years old, and I never had a problem until just this last year. I've had this dog for 100 years now. What a very old dog. He looks down at his paper, looks back at you. You have a cat? No, I don't have a cat. Okay. Any other animals? you have any pets? Goldfish? Something? You got something? He's trying to find some other way to talk about anything but what's in the papers. You know why? He's got a terrible diagnosis. Let's say if it's cancer. The most loving, I want you to hear me, the most loving, compassionate thing that he can do in that moment is shoot it straight to you and tell you what the bad news is. Because if it's the worst, it does no good to draw that out, and it does no good to not tell you. In fact, it's unloving to not tell you. You see, there's bad news, but it's got to be broken to you. You have to hear it. And then let's unfold. Is there a plan? Is there some kind of treatment that we can pursue? How long do I have to live? You follow what I mean? And so when we talk about bad news coming, it's actually a compassionate, gracious thing to receive bad news. Because before you can ever go on to the good news, you've got to fully understand the bad news. And as we come into today's passage, Romans chapter 3, we'll be covering verses 9 to verse 20. Paul is one last time going to hit us square in the eyes with the bad news. But in him giving us the bad news, I've got to tell you, he's doing a loving thing. He's graciously telling us, hey friend, we're sinful people. Now don't be mistaken, and don't think that I can just come to this and go, yeah, man is sinful, as in all the other people except me, is sinful, but I'm all right. No, no, no. Every single person, every man is a sinner, and we all stand condemned before a holy God. That is our bad news for today. Every man is a sinner condemned before a holy God. That's man, woman, child, every person. 
is a sinner. And we're condemned before a holy God. But the good news is that it's gracious for us to see that. For the rest of the good news will build off of that. When we come into verse 21 next week, we're going to go right into some beautiful good news that has everything to do with the Savior. You see, before you can ever appreciate how great the Savior is, you have to understand how terrible your sin is. And so that's what we're going to be seeing. I hear many objections that might come as a part of this passage. I think that Paul is almost handling this book, and especially this passage, almost like a court case. And I hear him responding to objections that people might put in. One objection right off the top would be something like, but I'm not that bad. I'm not a sinful person. And let me just give you a verse from outside of this that I hope will help us to understand. There is nobody that's right before God. Here's 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If you say that you have no sin, here's the words, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in us. I don't want to be deceiving myself. So let's go ahead, Doc. Let's open up the the envelope. Let's have a look at how bad my sin is. And when I understand this, then we can start talking about the treatment and how glorious our Savior is. And so as we come into today's passage, I will point out some of the objections that he addresses. Let's jump into verse number 9, and we'll see him continue this argument for our need for a Savior. This is... Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No. In no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So here we have 52 verses from Romans chapter 1 until chapter 3 and verse 8 were 52 verses where he has been talking about man is sinful, man is sinful, man is sinful. Today we're going to get 12 more verses of it. Man is sinful. Now in verse 21, he's going to go over to how glorious the Savior is, but he's going to make this one last statement. Is there any way, is it possible at all, maybe, I've got a leg up. Last week he said the Jews have a leg up over the Gentiles in that they received the oracles of God. They got the Word of God given to them both to Jewish authors and to Jewish audience. That was the way that they were benefiting. And yet, now you and I have all received the Word of God. So that benefit is kind of done away with. So now he goes, let's flip it around on the other side. So is there any advantage? Are we better than they? Verse 9. Are we better than they? And the answer here, very clearly, no in no wise, for we've proved that both Jews and Gentiles are both sinful. Again, I'll say it, all men are sinners condemned before a holy God. We have no way to get around this. And please don't think, well, maybe I'm not a Jew, now I'm a saved Christian, so now I'm better than the rest of the world. No, 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 no. You're still a wicked sinner saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is only because of His grace that you are able to be saved, and you're saved. You're still a sinner, but now you're saved by God's grace. As we walk through the next several verses, from verse 10 to verse 18... Paul's going to pull from seven Old Testament references. We won't take the time to go back. I might toss out a couple of references if you want to jot them down. 
but these are Old Testament references that he uses to prove that every person is a sinner through and through. And man will give objections, but these Old Testament verses will put them to rest. And by the way, if you need a strong argument, especially when you go to court and you stand in a court case, you present your strongest argument. And this is his strongest argument. He could say things like, remember that the wages of sin is death, and people die, therefore all people are sinners. That's a logical conclusion. He doesn't go there. He he doesn't go to, hey, look at how bad everybody is, don't think you're better than everybody else. That's a logical conclusion, but that's not where he goes. Here's where he goes. As it is written, the strongest argument he can give is Scripture itself. So here we have, we're holding the book of Romans, we have Scripture quoting Scripture. So it doesn't get much stronger argument than that. Remember, Scripture is our final authority for all things of faith and practice. And so here he goes, Scripture says it, and he's going to quote seven passages from the Old Testament. Let's walk through them. Here's verses 10 to 12. What he's going to do is he's going to display, he's going to show us our sinfulness is displayed in different areas of your life. Verses 10 to 12, he's going to show us that our sinfulness is displayed in who we are. Number one, who we are. Verse number 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Our sinfulness is displayed in who we are. This is our core being, we are sinful people. Right down to the inner parts of us. Guys, don't let anybody tell you, well, you're naturally good and then you just fall away. No, you're born sinful. That's what the Scripture says. Later in chapter 5, he brings this out. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death passed upon, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men. So now, you and I are born sinners because our Tumbuna father, Boo-Boo, Adam, was a sinful man. So he's sinful, you and I are born in that sin. There's not a single person who has been born other than the Lord Jesus Christ who was sinless. Only Jesus was sinless for his entire life. And remember, Adam was not his father, God was his father. And here's Jesus, spends his whole life, he's the only one that can ever go to the cross and take our sin upon himself. Nobody else can ever do that for you, only Jesus can So here's Jesus taking our place. But let's look at these points here. As it is written, this is coming out of both Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Both passages speak into this. He's quoting both of those passages, and he does it interchangeably. Verse number 10, in the second portion, he says, There is none righteous, no, not one. In this passage that we're looking at today, verse 9 to verse 20, three times we get this phrase, no, not one. Thirteen evidences to your sinfulness are outlined. Nine times he says something like, none are good, all are unrighteous. I would say this is a very negative passage. And yet again, remember that if the doctor doesn't tell you the negative things, he's not being compassionate and he's not caring for you. When we, talked about, when we talk about spiritual matters, it's so very important for us to understand none are righteous. No, not one. He says here, 
In verse number 11, there is none that understandeth. Not a single person completely understands the heights of God's holiness. And not a single person understands the depth of their own sinfulness. We do not understand. And yet I hear an objection perhaps being stated, but what about good people? You realize that Christians are not the only ones that act good? Did you ever meet somebody that was not a believer in Christ and yet they seemed like a good person? You might say they were moral. And yet I would dare say that at the core of why they are being moral is so that they can elevate their own pride. You say, but they give to the poor. Well, why do they give to the poor? It's so that they can elevate themselves. You say, why would they be kind to others? It's so that they can elevate. You know what that is? That's idolatry. So even in their own goodness, they're pursuing their own idolatry. Morality. We do not preach morality. We preach the gospel. The gospel transforms your life. So you understand at the beginning, I'm exceedingly sinful before a holy God. And I need Jesus. I need Him to take my sin so that I can become righteous in Him. Never do we preach our own morality. And my goodness, if ever there was a time in our city for us to see those who would proclaim their own goodness, I think it's something like 43 different candidates this week. All of them putting their hand up and saying, look at how great I am. And let's be careful to not just point at 43 candidates because we have a city of half a million people. And very few would say, well, I'm a bad person. Paul says, none, there's no righteous, none righteous. None understands. You don't even understand the depth of your own depravity. Let's keep going into verse number 11 and the latter part. There's none that seeketh after God. None that seeketh after God. I don't know if you remember this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Before you were a believer, you did not seek after God. Your heart was not inclined to go after Christ your heart was inclined to the things of this world and your own goodness. And in your own pursuit of your own goodness, you did not even realize your own depth of depravity and the heights of His holiness. And you did not seek after Him. And the reason that you did not seek after Him, the latter part of this verse says, neither can you know them, their foolishness to you, and they are spiritually discerned. And we are spiritually dead before we come to Christ. You say, but... Here's an objection. But, but what about Matthew 7? Matthew 7 says, Seek and you shall find. How about Hebrews 11, verse 6? Uh, this one I'm going to quote off the top of my head. And it's just, uh, God is, uh, he, that, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So you say, but, but wait, I, 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 I seek after God and He rewards me. That's Hebrews 11, 6. And Matthew 7, if I seek after Him, then He will let me find Him. No, 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 no. You don't do that in your natural state. Your natural state. Uh, here's Ephesians chapter 2. Your natural state. And you hath He quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead apart from God, and He came along, and He made you alive, and He put in you that desire to seek after Him. So then, after you become a believer, you begin to seek after Him, and He rewards you for seeking. 
Isn't that an amazing gift from God that He would awaken a desire for you to seek? And then He would reward you for doing what it was that He awakened in your heart. Oh, He's a magnificent God. Jesus made a statement like this. He said in John 6, 44, No man can come to Me except the Father which hath sent Me. Draw Him. You don't go to Him on your own. There's none that seeketh God. Instead, God draws your heart to Him. He awakens in your heart. And guys, this morning I pray that among us there would be some who even now the Holy Spirit would be drawing your heart. You're saying, but I thought I was a good person and today I'm realizing how terribly sinful I really am down at my core. This is how sinful I am. I need Him. And I pray that even now the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Himself. That's the work that He does. We keep going in verse number 12. They're gone out of the way. They've gone out of the way. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, they've gone out of the way to the left and some of them have gone out of the way to the right. And what he meant by that was they go out of the way to the left. In other words, they give themselves over completely to sin. Lust and greed. I want my way. Or you can go out of the way to the right. I'm going to try to do everything right and I'm going to be making myself right. I'm going to follow all of these things and I'm going to do all of the right things. And... and What you do is you find yourself going out of the way, one way or the other way. Nobody's seeking after God. All gone out of the way. We're going off-road, as it were. And none of us is driving an off-road vehicle. latter part of verse 12, they are together become unprofitable. In Psalm chapter 14, the word that's used in Psalm 14 is corrupt. Instead of unprofitable, they've all become corrupt. Psalm 53 says they've all become filthy. So when we see that word unprofitable and we see it be quoted from the Old Testament, think in the terms of we've all become filthy. We've all become corrupted. We are unprofitable. Another way, Jesus used this statement. He said, said, it's like as if you were salt that has lost its savor. Salt, just think about this, if salt has lost its saltiness, to quote Jesus' question, what good is it? It's just white powder. If salt doesn't have saltiness, it has no purpose. He goes, you and I, we were, and I hope that this rings a bell from the last few weeks, you and I were created for a purpose. I hope you remember what that purpose was. We were created, namely, to glorify God. And in the moment that I was born in my sin, dead in my trespasses, I had no way to glorify God in my sin. I needed Him to awaken me. And I'll say, I was unprofitable, corrupted, almost like you could think of milk that's gone sour, has no purpose whatsoever. Fruit that's just rotten. It served a purpose... But it's not serving that purpose now. It says we are unprofitable. God created us to glorify Him, but in your sinful condition, you're unprofitable. We need Him to draw us back to Himself. And in this I hear another objection. Perhaps somebody might say something like, but pastor, what about the power of positive thinking? I mean, this power of positive thinking thing just goes exactly opposite of what we're reading here. Now, can I remind you that what we're reading here is Scripture? 
And it's quoting from Psalm 14. And Psalm 14 would be this very same passage that says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So be careful about listening to modern psychobabble that lines up with someone who is a fool. Be careful who you take your advice from. I think it's much better that we take our advice from Scripture that says, you're a sinful person, and apart from Jesus, you're hopeless. Oh, let the bad news come clearly in our hearts. And then in verse 12, the last portion of verse 12, it says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, it almost sounds, on the surface, it almost sounds like that he's already said. But let me show it to you very closely. Look very closely and see if you can see the difference. The beginning of verse 10 and the end of verse 12. Verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now the end of verse 12, there is none that does good, no, not one. So verse 10, you are not righteous. Verse 12, you do not do righteous things. So verse 10, this is who you are. You are unrighteous. That's who you are. Verse 12, this is what you do. You don't do righteous deeds. So at our core, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We'll never live up to His goodness. You see, we don't understand how holy He is and how exceedingly sinful we are. Coming to verse number 13, and we move from our sinfulness being on display in who we are to number 2, into what we say, what we say. Verses 13 and 14. I see these statements from the Old Testament similar to blood test results and CT scans and MRIs looking at us and revealing who we are. He says, here, you need some evidence? It pulls out an MRI scan. Here, have a look at what you say. And here it comes, verse number 13 and 14. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. That comes out of Psalm 5 and Psalm 140. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Notice the word throat, tongues, lips, mouth. Throat, tongue, lips, Mouth. It's almost like as if it's coming from inside and it's working its way out. Throat, tongue, lips, mouth. And with our the things that we say, we exhibit that we are sinful people. It's just coming out of us. And he says, Your throat is an open sepulchre. You might remember what Jesus said, Matthew 12, verse 34. He says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so here, out of the abundance, what's going on inside of your heart, you see, you can keep it closed up for a little while, but it builds up and builds up and builds up, and you and I all know that eventually you open your mouth, here it comes. And I don't know if you're like me, but there's times when I open my mouth and it starts just flowing out, and I think, whoa, stop it, put it back in, I don't want this coming out. Have you ever been there? If you know how to stop it, let me know. Here he says, your mouth is like an open sepulchre. You can just imagine this, this tomb or a grave that's open. Now many, many, many times throughout my life, I've always thought of Jesus' statement. He says, you're like an open sepulchre. He said that to the Pharisees. And, and many times I thought about, so here's like, this, this is the image I had in my mind. So here's, here's an open grave and, and, and 
Maybe, perhaps, it would be like an unsuspecting trap. Somebody's walking by and they're not paying attention, or maybe it's dark and they would fall in. And how disgusting that would be to fall in, right? But I think that what he's saying here goes to an even deeper level. So let me paint a picture. So let's say if we had a funeral here, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. Again, please. <laughs> let's, say, let's say we had a funeral here, and, 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 and we were going to bury you here on the church property. And for the record, I'm not a big fan of that, okay? I prefer to bury you somewhere else, not at the church. Uh, that's just my own personal preference. Not against anybody else that does that, but I just don't. I'm, I'm not a big fan. Save the property for building lives, not for memorializing the dead. So let's say we have the funeral, and while we're having the funeral, or before the funeral, somebody digs a hole over on the side. We finish the funeral. We take that person's body, carry them out to the hole. Pallbearers are there. We lower the body down inside the hole. We have a prayer, and then we all leave. We leave it open. Now, I'm hoping that in this moment you're thinking, but pastor, there's a problem. Yes, there's a problem in that somebody might fall in, but there's a bigger problem coming. <laughs> that in the next few days and weeks and months to come, every single fly in the southern region will make his way to that hole. <laughs> you follow me? And then you could just imagine, months later, as you pull into the car park, you know, something going on here, and it's not good. <laughs> right? And here's what the scriptures say. Your throat is like an open sepulcher. There's nastiness that's going on down in there. And by the very fact that you open your mouth, we can see how sinful and how disgusting and how nasty it is way down in your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your throat is like an open sepulcher, he says. Then the next part in verse number 13 it says, your tongue is used for deceit, and your lips have the poison of asp. Poison of asp. I know how terribly Paul hates snakes, so I might just tell you, Paul, cover your ears for a minute. It says, your lips are hiding the poison, like a snake has poison inside of his lips. Now, I'll give you an example from this week. So Monday afternoon, I was driving from the workshop. I was planning to come from the workshop down here. Just as I came across the road at the top of the hill there, just as I came across the road, a Papuan Taipan darted out in front of me. Now, if it had been a PMV that pulled out in front of me, I would have slowed down uh, because I never want to bump a PMV. You'll never re recover the money off of that one. <laughs> But this one was a Papuan Taipan. I saw him. He was black, red stripe right along the top, one of the most poisonous snakes in the country. When he darted out in front of me, he was maybe about a meter and a half long. When he darted out in front of me, I took one second to think about this. I thought to myself, he's a very poisonous snake and he will hurt somebody at some point. I have a 3.2 Ford Ranger four-wheel drive XLT, and I am going to kill that sucker. And I just vroom right over top of him. And just to make sure I got him good and good, I put it in reverse and went back again. <laughs> now, now, no. When I backed up far enough to see that I had definitely backed up away from him, I could see him out the front. I did not want to get out on top of him. 
I backed up and I came up, walked up next to him. Now the front half of his body, the middle half of his body was not looking so great, but the front half of his body was doing one of these numbers and he was just doing his best. Now after about 30 seconds, he started to slow down with all of that stuff and I figured he's probably bleeding out, but I knew that little guy is very poisonous. And then he brought his head around upside down and he laid his head down like this on top of his body. Black on his back, white on his belly. And that white belly was up. I looked at him and I thought to myself, you were one bad dude. I'm not messing with you. So I did what every good pastor should do. I called somebody else to come and fix this. Got on the phone, I said, hey, Billy! I need you to get a bush knife and come up here and take care of this bad boy. And Billy came up. He showed up. He had a bush knife. Belongs to the security guards. He got the bush knife, brought it up, and he proceeded to whack that guy's head off. Knocked the head off. And I had just the smallest, just the smallest moment of compassion for that little snake. I thought to myself, off went his head. I'm so sorry. For only a split second. Because I knew that what was behind his lips was really bad. So here we have just the head. And Billy, not me, Billy uh, held the bush knife and balanced the head out and he was going to bury it. It's a good thing. And he's take the head over to the side and he dug a little hole with the bush knife and just before he put the snake's head in the hole, he, he did something that I hadn't thought about doing. He took the bush knife and pried it into the snake's mouth. Now don't do it with your finger. Bad. He puts the bush knife into the snake's mouth. Now, up to that point, that snake had never made an angry face at me. He never said a bad word to me. And I told you already, I kind of, for a little while, felt sorry for him. He had his little rounded mouth. It was so nice and rounded. And I didn't see any problem with it. He had never said anything mean to me. But Billy put that bush knife inside of his mouth and pried it open. And when he pried it open, you know what happened? Two fangs went. His head was detached from his body, and he had no problem injecting some poison into anything he could. I hope you understand what God says about us. Your throat is an open sepulcher, and your mouth is ready at a moment's notice to inject poison anywhere that anybody decides to challenge your kingdom. Oh, we're a sinful people. Your lips are hiding the poison of asps, he says. In your mouth, verse 14, your mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. He quotes Psalm 10 here. Your mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I don't get my way. I will take it from your way. And curse you, and I'll be bitter at you because I want my kingdom. Your mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You see, our sinfulness is displayed in who we are. It's at our core. And our sinfulness is displayed in what we say. And then verse number 15, he continues on from verses 15 to 17. This is all a quote from Isaiah 59. Here's verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace have they not known. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
Let me say it like this. We are good at killing people. We're good at it. It does not take much for us to see in social media multiple times in a week where social media, to be kind to us, covers the photos. This photo is hidden. You know why? Because we're good at killing people. We're good at it. And here we are in the 21st century. We should be the most technologically advanced. We should be the most compassionate. And if you speak to evolutionists, they would say we're at the apex of where we've ever been, and yet you look at the last hundred years and compare the number of people that we have killed in wars. Before the 1900s, the most people that ever had been killed in a single war was 40 million people. And that happened in World War I. Then we made it to World War II, and we doubled it. 85 million. We... Less than a hundred years ago, we figured out how to turn the entire world into a killing machine. It says your feet are swift to shed blood. And know that we are just moments at any time, we are just moments away from being right back at it. Diplomats spend all of their energy to keep that from happening. Our feet are swift to shed blood. Verse number 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. The way that we live our lives is all wrapped up in, he says, destruction and misery. Destruction and misery. And you can see that across wide spectrum. From one end you can see strip mining. If you've ever seen a mountain that has been mined and stripped, also that we can get more money. Stripped it. But then on the other side, and perhaps you've seen this picture, it went viral just a few months ago. On the other side of that is the environmental push where we say, well, leave the environment the way it is so that the environment can continue on and all the animals can grow and, and they, can, they can be in their natural habitat and the hunters and gatherers can live there and they can gather what they need to. And then there was the viral picture, many of you may have seen it, viral picture not, not too long ago, of hunters and gatherers in the Juan Gulf Peninsula where they went and collected tree kangaroos. And there they stand with their pile of tree kangaroos that they've gone into the natural habitat that's been preserved do you realize it's within us? You don't have to be technologically advanced. You can be just living in the jungle and our ways are destructive. I look around at the way that our schools are across our nation. I wonder how many of us would say the school that I went to compared to when I was there to where it is now and how far it has run down. And I'll give an example. 90 million Kina invested into probably the one that should be the flagship school for the nation, Batuka Academy. I was there just a few weeks ago and I was appalled. It's only been open for two years. I was appalled. Broken windows, paint coming off the walls. Give it another five years, it'll look like just all the rest of us. Terrible. And don't think that we're any better because we run SPIA. You realize that every year we have to put another coat of paint on the hallways because students can't help it but rub their feet on the walls 
and scratch their names in the walls and write their names on the walls and it doesn't matter how much we threaten, destruction and misery are in their ways. It's at our core. It's who we are. It's how we talk. It's the way we live. Verse number 17. The way of peace have they not known. The way of peace, have they not known that's not hard to see. Last week it was Israel against Palestine. The week before it was Two Mile Hill. Next week, who knows what it will be. But there will be some conflict globally somewhere that will catch our attention. The way of peace is not known. Man does not know the way of peace until he knows the Prince of Peace. Our sinfulness is displayed in who we are. It's displayed in what we say. It's displayed in how we act. And then lastly, it's displayed in how we think. In how we think. Look at verse number 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This comes from Psalm 36, verse number 1. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I think that drives home the reason for our depth of sinfulness. is because there is no fear of God. There's no fear of God. Here, let me share with you. Proverbs 16 and verse 6 says this, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. What will drive you away from evil? A fear of the Lord. That'll drive you away from evil. Think back to the Tower of Babel. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? That happened within Noah's lifetime. Just think this through. Noah... Eight of them on the boat watched God flood the entire world. And yet, within their lifetime, here's a tower where people got together and said, we're going to build a tower that goes up into heaven. No flood will ever take us out again. You realize the fear of God had not passed down from one generation to the next. Think of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, You remember Pharaoh and the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt? My goodness, if ever there should be a fear of God. Ten plagues. All the water turned to blood and the locust and the hail and the fire and all of the terrible things that happened. The death of the firstborn. And here's Pharaoh chasing the children of Israel. They get to the Red Sea and in that moment he thinks, aha, I got them. And then God does this amazing miracle, parts the Red Sea so they can go through. Look, if you're Pharaoh, take just a moment and think about that for a minute. What all did it take for them to be able to leave? And now what's it going to take for them to get away from you? You are stupid if you chase them into the water. And then, one more moment. The Scripture says that as Israel began to pass through the Red Sea, that pillar of cloud lifted up from before them. I'll let you read this in your own time. It says that it lifted up from before them, set behind them. And the words that the Scripture uses is that God looked through the cloud and discomfited the Egyptians. On this side, it was a comforting, leading cloud. On this side, it was an uncomfortable, terrifying cloud. I don't know what God did. Maybe in a darkness in a cloud, He looked down at the Egyptians and went, And only imagine what discomfited meant. And yet, no fear of the Lord as He says, Hey, look at those guys go through a miracle. I'll take that miracle too. And then God just crushed him. You see, there's no fear of the Lord If you have no fear of the Lord, friend, your ways are going to be evil. There's no way around it. And God's punishment is a display of His love. It's a display of His love for Him to tell us how sinful we are. 
And the ultimate display of His love was when He unleashed His wrath upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That was the greatest display of love. As He went, I love the world and I want them to be mine, so I'm going to unleash my wrath upon His Son Jesus. What a glorious moment of Him unleashing His wrath. So let's wrap up this passage for today in verses 19 and 20. Everything that we've seen from verse 10 to verse 18 has been quoting the Old Testament. Each one of those has been intensely personal for us. And I hear as I come into verse number 19, I think I hear almost a faint one last objection. We've heard objections from different angles. And I hear almost one last faint one. It's almost as if somebody's putting their hand up one more time. But Paul, what about... Watch, she's going to cut them off. Verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So here's what is going on. I see somebody going, but, but wait, Paul, but wait. The law... God gave us the law, and that one, and point, shush, 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 shush. All mouths are going to be stopped at this point. No more objections. It's over. All mouths will be stopped. And every person is guilty before God. You, you see why he pointed at the law? Because the law was never intended for us to use it as a measuring stick to see how well we can do and how close we can get to God. Oh no, the law, the book of Galatians tells us the reason that the law was there so that it could be a pedagogue to show us how close or how far we don't get to God. It says no, over and over and over, you fall short, you fall short, you fall short. The law is that standard that you'll never live up to. It says, sorry, you're not going to make it. And so the law has been given clearly so that it can prove to all of us that we are sinful before God. So every mouth is stopped. We have nothing. Therefore, he says in verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified before the Lord. You'll never be able to do everything that the law says that you need to do. You'll never be able to live up to it. It's impossible. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In other words, when you look at the law, you go, oh, I messed up there. I messed up there. I messed up there. And I can't quit messing up. You see, when I see how terribly sinful I am, I realize how much I need a Savior. And next week he's going to give us, verse 21 and going forward, he's going to give us some beautiful hope. The law has acted like a PET scan, a litmus test. It's shown us how exceedingly sinful we are. Every man... Is a sin, sinner condemned before a holy God. I can come back to the illustration of an envelope. And that envelope bearing bad news. I might just say, here's the bad news. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. The good news is there's a treatment plan. He's already taken your, your sin. Uh, let me close with a illustration. You might remember Rahab. Do you guys remember Rahab? Old Testament Rahab? Rahab and Jericho? Remember the spies went in? Two spies go into Jericho and they're spying out. They know what's coming. Those two spies, they know exactly what's coming. They know Israel's coming and we are going to wipe out Jericho. 
By the way, that's bad news for Jericho, right? Spies come in, they're looking around. How many soldiers? How many of them are on horseback? How many of them have bows and arrows? Where are their machine guns? Where do they hide their, hide their fighter jets? They're having to look around. They have to hide their own identity. It can't be known who they are, for if it's known who they are, they're done. They meet up with Rahab. And we don't know how that happened, but somehow they meet up with Rahab. Now, could you imagine Rahab? Rahab knew what was coming. She even said it. She said, I know Israel's going to come, and I know you guys are going to wipe us out. But could you imagine if you're one of those spies, and you're sitting back having tea with Rahab? And she says, I think you guys are going to overrun our city. You're one of the spies, and you think to yourself, yeah, that's right. We're definitely going to wipe out this city. It's bad news for you, but <clears throat> I don't want to make you upset. So, could you pass the sugar? Let's talk about something else. Everything's going to be fine, Rahab. You'll be all right. Maybe you could consider moving to AI for a few weeks. It's going to be all right. But no, instead, they did the compassionate, loving thing. They said, Rahab, it's true. The bad news is we're going to destroy this city. But I tell you what, you get as many people as you can. You come hide them in your house. Get your mom, your dad, your uncles, your cousins. Get all your family. Bring them in your house. Take that red rope and drop it out the window. We'll know which house is yours. I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk to Joshua. I'm going to tell Joshua what you've done to save our lives. And we're going to do everything we can to take care of you. You see, without admitting the bad news, you can never get to the good news. Without them saying, yeah, Rahab, you're right, it's going to be bad. Without them saying that, they could never get to, we're going to help you out. Brothers and sisters, without us saying to the world, you're a sinner condemned before a holy God, without us saying that, we can never get to the Savior. Be careful about trying to jump straight to Jesus. Jesus is not an addition to your life. He's the Savior of your soul. Father, thank You for Your grace upon us. Thank You for sending Jesus to take our place on the cross. I pray, Lord, that we would see our sin as it is. We are none of us righteous. No, not one. We're separated from You. All of those good things of our life is just as filthy rags before You. God, I pray that we would accept that and we would come humbly clinging to the foot of the cross, placing our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Lord, thank you for your goodness upon us. I pray that you would bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to come back next week. We'll pick up in Romans 3 and verse 21. We're going to spend a long time the next several weeks and months in the gospel. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.